Welcome to Simple Tech Talk, innovative topics and creative introductions to the marketplace. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Simple Tech Talk, where we take what can be considered complex and break it down into easy to understand language. And it should be easy to understand why we are so excited to have Jeffrey Hazlett. Yes, the Jeffrey Hazlett of Eastman Kodak back in the day. You remember 2006 was the year and it was a fantastic year, a year of adaptation, change and growth. But let's let him tell that story. First and foremost, Jeffrey, welcome to Simple Tech Talk. How are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, Jeffrey, you've been described as the outspoken six foot three pheasant farmer, a man that is bigger than necessary. I'm sure you live up to this and beyond. So it's an absolute honor to have you on the show. Not only are you a big man, but you've been big for every business that you've been a part of growing their bottom line and changing the thought narrative, right? Changing the mood, selling what the actual product does. You know, at Kodak, your product was the only product that people would run back into a burning house to save. And that really spoke to me. But let's back it up a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Well, you know, I've bought and sold over 250 businesses in my career, about $25 billion in transactions. And of course, when I was at Kodak, I was managing a, a you know marketing budget of like seventeen billion way back then. But then, um, yeah, but I've done everything. I've you know, it's in buying and selling. I've been a, a printing company, car phone company back then, car phones, mobile phones, and television stations. I've I've pretty much uh, pub, public relations firms. I've owned and sold a whole a whole bunch of different businesses in my career, and kind of just grew up. Just uh, creating one business after another, building it up and either selling it off or uh, building it up and merging it into something else that was bigger. That's what I've always done. You know, we could learn a lot about your successes, right? We could talk about that for days, but you're a very busy man. Let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges, perhaps, that people haven't heard of that you were able to overcome and conquer. Well, you, you mentioned pheasant farming. That was one. <laughs> that was, that was a, a business that I tried to get the corner of the market on until I figured out there wasn't a market, you know. So, there, you know, there's always those. You have lots of successes, lots of failures in your career. And everybody who asks me, they say, what's the biggest mistake you ever made? And I always tell people, I don't know. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> you know, it just means you're, you're always going to have something bigger and bigger. And that's the same thing on success side, I think. You know, a lot of people think you get to get to the top and then you start coasting or you get to the top and, and you're done. And I, I think once you get to the top, you got to go back down again and start again. And so I constantly looked at to change and and to reinvent it either as a business or even in the processes i think i'm a fairly fluid person that way and just like let's just keep trying keep trying keep trying to make it better let's keep capturing customer behavior and and serving people and if we do that we you know it's pretty that's a pretty positive thing and so i just keep trying to do that that's awesome in case you're just joining us we are with jeffrey hazlett the jeffrey hazlett of C-Suite. Now, Jeffrey, you were one of the original thought leaders behind this concept of C-Suite. But before we get to that, I want to talk about something that you touched on. And that is the word change. Now, we hear that used uh, in different contexts. And some people just like to use it, right, just for the sake of using it. But you've never applied change just for the sake of applying change. Go into the foundations or principles and cornerstones that you view as uh, an integral part when you're trying to change an organization from the inside out. 
<laughs> well, the biggest thing you have to do is overcoming uh, the captains or champions of no. I mean, you know, even when you're the CEO or CMO, if you're on the C-suite uh, of, of a company, and even though you control maybe billions or millions or hundreds of thousands or, or any kind of a budget, or, or if you're in that C-suite, you, most people think, well, they can get it done. Well, that's not the case because there's an army of, of people typically that work in a big company. Or in, uh, even in a small company, there's always people. There's people who are just no. They just say no. Oh, we tried that before. Um, it's not in the budget, you know. And there's all kinds of different things. In fact, my last book, Think Big, Act Bigger, I put a whole like like four or five pages of just excuses that I keep hearing from people of why they say they can't do it. And and that, that's the biggest thing. You have to have sheer momentum and sheer energy to overcome the the champions or captains of no. And I think that's the biggest thing you have to fight is the people who want to stand in your way, you know, and, I, you know, naysayers and, and people who just want to just, you know, hold you down and you've got to overcome that. Again, if you're just joining us, we are with Jeffrey Hazlett. Now, you mentioned C-Suite. Let's talk a little bit about why and how you formed that and what the bigger purpose and vision is behind the C-Suite network. Yeah, uh, we've now got 350,000 members, uh, 157 podcast shows today, and now uh, 70 plus TV shows that we're doing and, and countless, countless, tens and tens and tens and tens, maybe over 100. Well, with digital meetings, well over 100 meetings a year. You know, I, I just wanted a place where I could get together with other C-suite leaders. You know, um, you have to be this tall to get in. You have to be a VP or higher, at least of a company of a couple million dollars or greater. And the reason for that cutoff is we just want, you know, businesses that are either succeeding or starting to succeed. We have 21% of our, our companies that are in it are, are billion-dollar companies. 27% are those what we call mid-cap companies, $100 million to a billion. And then the balance is under um, $100 million. And, and most companies are in you know, what I would call small, smaller businesses, well under $100 million. But I, I just wanted a place where we could have trusted conversations. Today, with digital, as you all know, in the tech world, we're super connected. But we're disconnected when it comes to personal relationships, and we're seeing more and more of that. And I see a real trend where it's going to be tougher and tougher for C-suite executives to get together just to talk about what they do and how they do it, and then find ways of, of trusted information, trusted advisors, trusted partners or vendors. And so this is what we try, this is what we're doing. So think of it as a big club for people that got to drive organizations for, for big success. That's what it's all about. Man, that's amazing stuff. You know, you talked about the executives getting together and talking about what they do and how they do it. And you mentioned the 118 in a lot of your speeches. And I think yep. it's fantastic. Uh, will you kind of elaborate on the importance of conveying a message in that amount of time? Yeah, it's 118 seconds. It's the new elevator pitch. Like if you ask somebody what they do, you know, or tell me about your company, most people can't really get it down. In fact, 57 percent of the people that work in a company don't even know what the values of the company are. Hmm. So it's so in that 118, eight seconds is the average attention span of an adult. I know that to be true because I looked it up you know, on the Internet. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but that's the hook. That's that eight seconds. What do you say to someone to get their attention? 
that they they want to lean in and 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 you know that you say something that's provocative you say something that grabs me it's called the hook and then i want to lean in uh to hear the rest of it and that's that's 110 seconds is the average elevator ride in new york city from the time you press the button wait for the doors to go up wait you know uh, close and and either go up or go down the elevator that's what it typically takes so you've got eight seconds to hook me and then 110 seconds to tell me your value and don't tell me you, you can, I guess you can mention I work with this company, this company, but really tell me what you're going to do for me. And that's really what you have to do. Because uh, if I have to ask you three times or, or more than once, what is it you do, then you got a real problem. Mm. You know, you talked about the captains of no in every organization, but you know, within each organization are those with that forward vision and thought process that have just kind of been beaten down time and time again to the point to where they just kind of stay silent in those meetings. How do you bring about conjuring that positive spirit out of employees that perhaps have been victims of that kind of mentality? Well, you have to, one, you have to ask them, you have to include them. So in my latest book, which is um, The Hero Factor, where I write about uh, hero cultures and what sets, you know, uh, companies apart from everyone else, and it's really about the diversity and in, in inclusion of, of everything. So it's a diversity and inclusion of thought, but it's also in making sure that around the table you're getting input from everyone. And so you have to bring those people out because you find that there's a silent majority. There's a, a good, good portion of the group that's going to follow those with the most inspiration or energy and, and who lay it out. And, and every, for most people, to not do something is a lot easier than doing it, mm. right? So to follow along is easier because you're following the rules. You know, you're following the way it's, but you know, it was it was laid out to be. And so it's important for a leader to lay it out. This is where we're going. We're going to go take this hill, and this is how we're going to get there. Who's and then this is what I think we need to do. Who's with me? But you need to say, okay, now tell me what's the good, the bad, and the ugly of that, and get everybody to input, and then get everybody to buy it in because otherwise you'll be taking the hill by yourself. That's huge because that's inevitably going to create some tension, but there is such a thing as healthy tension, correct? Oh, you, you always want healthy tension. And you know, for a lot of leaders, our job is to make people feel uncomfortable. It's our, it's our job to put you on the edge of the stage and not in the center of the stage. I got to take it to the edge where you almost fall off. I'm, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you, you want to go from point A to point B, but you tell everybody you're going to go to point C because you know those captains of no are going to drag you back. So B is really where you want to go. You want you got to at least B to B, but you paint the vision of C. It's kind of like when you were in high school, if you remember this, and you, you, you were in track or you were in football or basketball or whatever, and you had to run laps. And when you got done running the laps, you were exhausted. You fell on the ground. You thought you were going to you know, die. You know, because you were just breathing in so you know heavy, and because they really pushed you, and then the coach says, "Get up and do it again, one more." And you think, "Oh no, I'm going to die! I'm going to die! You're crazy! You're crazy!" Well, that's what leaders need to do a little bit. Wow. You have to. We have to push it to the edge, and then push some more. And that's because we're capable of it, and we know what we can get done. You know, my team will ask me, "Well, what do you think it's going to cost, or what's this, or what that?" And I can usually name those things or give those answers. Why? Because I've done it before. And if you've done it before, you've been there before, then you have a good sense of what it is. So, so if I ask you to take another lap, 
you're not going to die because I've done it before. You know, we've done it before. So so just get with the program and let's go. And that's that's causing the tension. And it's almost being irrational. I call it, you know, irrational, to some extent, leadership. But that's part of what you got to do. You know, there's a story that you tell about the time where the carpets needed to be cleaned. And you got a quote and you said, that's outrageous. I'm not going to pay that. So you got up on a Saturday morning um, because you have no friends, right? And (laughs) and spent the time cleaning the carpets off of a carpet cleaner you rented from your, you know, your local hardware store or whatnot. The carpets hadn't been cleaned in a long time. This was at Kodak. And and I said, guys, we got to clean these carpets. And they told me it was $3,300. Of course, we were kind of in austerity. I said, that's a little too much to pay. Clean carpets of the floor. So I, I, I looked up, where can I get one? So finally, I saw one was at Sears. I went and I bought it, and I literally cleaned the carpets, you know, uh, for everybody. I mean, the entire floor. I cleaned I went in over the weekend, and I did it, and I cleaned it. And then I put, the, I put a note out that anyone else could use the cleaner. All they had to do was buy the cleaning solution. Nice. And then, and I used to lend, lend it out. That thing traveled up and down uh, our building, <laughs> and and people used it like crazy. By the way, there was one woman had eleven pairs of shoes underneath her desk. I don't care who you are; that's just too many pairs of shoes. I don't even think I, I own that many at home. <laughs> well, that's, it was funny. I mean, everybody I, they were like blown away that I that I did this. Of course, I was an officer of the company, but I, the other thing I did was I found out underneath that carpet was marble floors. Right, right. And, and so I eventually took up the carpet and polished the floors and we had marble floors instead of the carpet. It was awesome. As businesses progress in this digital age, you kind of have to adapt to new thinking and new mood to survive. It's an oh, adapt or die mentality. If you can, can you kind of elaborate on the importance of that? Well, I mean, it's like evolution, adapt, change, or die. Mm. That's, that's, that's the only thing we have in choice in business. If you're not growing, you're going backwards, period. End of story. So you've got you've to push the needle, top line and bottom line. You have to move it, move it, move it. And, and we should always be about continuous improvement. The teams used to come to me at Kodak when I was there and say, Jeff, make it like it used to be. And I can't make it like it used to be. Look, I'm 59 years old today. I don't look like I used to when I was 20. I look better, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and so, I mean, that's the way that should be your mindset, not the other way around. Like, oh man, I'm getting old. This is not good. Right. Uh, I only have some, you know, no, live it to its fullest. And the same thing with the business. You have to make the business better every single day. That's what you should be doing. So once you realize that adaptation is a foundation for actual success and survival, what does it look like? to set the conditions of satisfaction for your business, whether that's print, restaurant, retail, et cetera, et cetera? Well, what are the things that you want to get out of it, both personally and professionally and uh, for the business? You know, what do you want your employees and your team to get out of it? What do you want your customers to get out of it? So you really need to lay, I love the the phrase, uh, mutual conditions of satisfaction, Mm -hmm. because that's what we're in the business of doing. What what are my mutual conditions of satisfaction with my team, my customers, my vendors, you know, uh, my partners, and then even my own family? What is it that we, you know, am I willing to give up every weekend? Am I willing to give up, 
you know, nights, days, and, you know, work 20 hours a day in order to make it happen. Because those are some of the things, especially you need to be thinking about when you get in a startup mode. But beyond that, what's it going to look like when we start hitting more success? Am I still going to be working like that? Am I going to work, you know, smarter, not harder? I mean, all those things need to go into what your conditions are and how you want to lay it out. And, And that gets back to your values. And I think values are overlooked all the time, and we need to spend a lot more time figuring out what our real values are. You know, when you started at Kodak, by the way, a week early, even before the urinalysis came back clean, which I thought was very admirable, <laughs> it's interesting because you came in there and you started out with 70 to 80 percent being traditional, right? Then it, yeah. it, it shifted. It flipped on its head. Going to – the challenges that you were able to overcome with the team that you had working alongside you and perhaps some of the things that you may think you left on the table. Well, there was a lot. I should have done things faster or bigger, but when you get into an organization, this is the things I learned at least. I was waiting around for, you know, more people to let me or tell me that we could do it this way or this way rather than just doing it. So when I started figuring out I could just do it, then I started doing it more and more. Even, you know, I mean, I was like I did. I made decisions like we're going to do the celebrity apprentice. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Even when it was in somebody else's real domain. And I just said, no, no, as a chief marketing officer, I get to tell you we're going to do this. And so I I learned to, um, you know, by just sheer force sometimes to start to move some of that change that a lot of people just didn't want to do. And by the way, we were still living an old story. I mean, it started switching to the digital pretty fast, and I was starting to see that. Social media was coming on board, you know, in 2006, 2007, 2008. I named the very first chief blogger that's ever been named in a company. I named the very first chief listening officer. We were the first company to to do Twitter. In fact, we put out Twitter policies for companies to adopt because they just didn't even know how to do that. You know, today you see things like where the companies might, uh, United Airlines might make a post and then, but they put someone's initials behind it because that tells you that who that person is, right. you know, things, that's the stuff we, we put into place. We put those things into place and other companies adopted all the things that we put in place. Yeah. So you've been around the game. You are clearly an innovator in the digital age from that traditional side all the way into digital, which must've been a huge flip because there's obviously going to be some resistance from the old heads in any organization, right? But we talked about easing that tension with candor and clarity and deciding, hey, who's on board and who's not, and so be it. So I want to talk about how you view messaging now, specifically in the day and age where everybody has a computer right on their hip, everywhere we go. You know, you probably have several dozen apps on your phone. What are the apps, and you don't have to say the names, but the quality that they provide and the value that they provide, what are some of the common denominators that you found in the apps that you use more prevalently? Convenience and help me do my job better. You know, I'll tell you the ones that are the most advantageous for me are travel apps because I can actually book plane tickets on the fly. So I have all the major airlines. I do uh, have one I have actually two car rentals, but I rarely rent cars anymore because of Uber. Uber's changed the way we do things, so Uber is one of those. The other app that I use is Open Table because I'm always booking lunch meetings or dinner. So I look things that that make my life easier and better. 
Hotel Tonight is another one that I'm using because one, it saves a lot of money. And two, you know, I'm only spending four or five, six hours a night in a hotel. So, you know, what do I care whether it's this hotel or that, even though I'm a Titanium Marriott member and stuff like that. So things that used to be, you know, very time consuming are now fairly easy. Those are my productivity apps to the point where, you know, I used to have a person or two booking all my travel. Now I do it all myself. Mm. You know, and I do it in faster time than it would tell me when to book the damn thing. So, you know, if I were to pick up a phone and call Jennifer or whoever it is and say, hey, I need a flight from here to here on this date, I can do it faster than telling them. So that's pretty cool. And that's cool because, you know, once you download an app and opt in, you decide what information you want to give them, right? So they can deliver a personalized experience. To what degree do you think personalization is going to play a factor in the times to come as far as mobile messaging goes? Oh, I think AI and is going to help us a great deal with that. It's starting to happen now when you're not, you don't even know you're dealing with a human or not. But And a lot of people think, well, geez, that's not cool. That's a little creepy. They know too much about me and so forth. Well, no, not really. If it's giving you the kind of service and the kind of connectivity that you want, it's it's very helpful. I want those things. It's no different than the fact you go into your local pub. They know who you are. They know what you like. And by the time you sit down, they've got a drink on the counter, you know, or on the bar for you or on the table. Or they know that you're you know, in your favorite restaurant, what you like. You know, you love these truffle chips or whatever it might be. Right. Then if they that, what's wrong with that? Well, this that's what, you know, some of the technology is going to be able to allow us to do and do it in a much better way. How has location helped you build your empire and brand geolocation, so to speak? Well, I think it's going to be heavy, but it's only if someone's using their phone and at least it's good for I like the geofencing side of it. If I can target a particular audience that I know that's going to be open to receiving messages at that time. And so that that's the only big thing or downside is if whether or not they're actually on their phones or doing the things that you want them to do. But to be able to track would be uh, obviously pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, 90% of our time is spent on mobile apps while we're using our phone. And I had a buddy ask me, well, what are people doing with the other 10%? And I said, probably making phone calls and texting. But it's interesting <laughs> that it's nine out of every 10 minutes is spent in apps, right? They've governed our lives. We've booked hotel rooms, a, a table for dinner, a flight, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I love that you were able to kind of comment on the digital age. Now, of course, you know, no conversation is going to be complete without a question about your time spent with our president, right? <laughs> what was that experience like? Well, I mean, he is what it is. So, you know, I was a judge on Celebrity Apprentice for three years. And got a chance and, of course, met him afterwards and, you know, got to get, know him as a friend. And he is what he is. I mean, what you see is playing out just like the show. If you were to go back and compare, you know, his presidency to the show, you'd pretty much see him. Uh, maybe a little bit different version, but, you know, to some extent, but it's still that showman. It's still that person. So I always found him personally to be a real gentleman, personally, to be a very good person to deal with, straightforward. You know, he was typical, you know, over-the-top kind of New Yorker and construction guy, as would you would imagine. What you see is what you get. And that's when I, I think when he took office, you see that same kind of persona being played out. I mean, just like he used to do, like he would uh, take on Rosie O'Donnell. You know, or he would, um, you know, step up when one of his Miss USA's got into a, a picture scandal. He would do those kinds of things, and he was very vocal about it. That was way back then. 
So I don't think you've seen much difference since then. Jeffrey Hazlett, pioneer, innovator, CEO, and business extraordinaire. You guys got to connect with him. Of course, he's available online at hazlett.com. And I also encourage you to just look him up anywhere for inspiring messages. I watched about three or four of your speeches over the weekend. And I didn't know what to expect. And I was pleasantly surprised with the energy that you bring to every stage. So what one piece of advice as we close would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur, speaker, somebody that's actually stepping out on an actual stage or a proverbial stage? Well, I think the biggest thing you want to do is capture customer behavior. You know, a lot of times people build things because they think that they this is what's going to be needed or, or might want to be needed or you have an idea about this. But the key thing you want to do is capture customer behavior. If you can capture customer behavior, you can make money. Man, awesome stuff. Thank you so much for your time. What's the best way for people to reach out to you personally, Jeffrey? Yeah, just through the, um, you know, through social media. You can find anything with Hazlett, H-A-Y-Z-L-E-T-T. Uh, you can find my name, Jeffrey Hazlett, all over the place. So just any any social media account, you can just reach right out and I'm there. You're an inspiring force for all of us. Thank you so uh, much. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Simple Tech Talk. Visit us online at boardactive.com and follow us on the socials. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.